Hello and welcome back. We're here with Nicole Jardim, known as the period girl. We're so excited to dive in today and learn all about how we can, as the book suggests, fix our periods. Here we go. Amanda, are you excited to learn how to fix your period? Yeah. Well... <laughs> I'm Not here for, to, to represent the guys yeah. in these difficult conversations we have with women. <laughs> you guys awesome. are so funny. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. We can't wait. We're definitely going to get Matt up to speed on this one. <laughs> awesome. We were reflecting before about when we saw you last uh, was in Manhattan. Uh, you were you were in the midst, you were in the trenches of creating this masterpiece that you are now have in your hands. Um, can you tell us about that? Uh, you've been through quite the journey to get this book out. Yeah, I'm going to need the protocol in this book after having written the book. It's been so stressful. But yes, I when we saw each other, I think it was July of last year, and I was in the thick of it. I was right at my deadline, or at least my first deadline. And yeah, life was intense. Um, and, you know, it's one of these things that for me, I feel like I wrote this book almost as much for me as I did for all the women who I want to read the book because I did not get answers when I was younger for all of my own period problems. And I felt as though if I struggled in this way, there are probably millions upon millions of women who are struggling too. really like, you know, often going to their doctors, not finding the solutions or even the answers that they need to understand what's going on with their body so that they can start making uh, fixes to that to the issues that they're having. So yeah, it was really it has been like a twenty year journey <laughs> for me. Awesome, that's so exciting for anyone watching. The fix your period is now out. Would you like to show us the cover, Nicole? Your I'd precious love baby. To. I know my precious baby. I know. Um, last year it was so funny. Uh, a friend of mine was saying to me, cause Hayden and I, you know, when you're writing a book, it's like, you don't really have a relationship. So I remember, <laughs> I think Hayden and I got into a fight about something and I, my, my friend of mine was just like, it sounds like he called your baby ugly. And I was like, that's exactly how I feel. Cause you know, when you're, when you're writing a book, it's just all in. And so, yes, anyways, this is, this is my ugly baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. And it's really, I thought it was funny because again, I try to bring light to this. I, I talk about the fact that, you know, we all have all kinds of crazy period problems. And so that's essentially the wheel on the cover of the book. It's got, you know, WTF is going on and try to bring some light because I feel like hormonal problems are, are serious business. Mm. So who is this book for? What sort of symptoms are you addressing in this book? Um, it's, you know, it's for anyone who is cycling. So anyone who's having a period, whether it's consistent or not, and anyone who really is in their reproductive years, and if they're not having a period, because some people tend to lose periods if they've been on birth control for a long time or due to excessive stress, things like that. So it's really anyone in their reproductive years. So anywhere from teens all the way through your forties through perimenopause. And it's, it's again, like one of these books that I think ad addresses the foundational components of hormonal health. And for me, like I was saying before, I really struggled with all of these issues and no one really had answers or sustainable solutions for me. And so that's why I wrote it in this way. It's very educational and then walks everyone through a six week program in the book to help them understand what is happening at every stage of healing, whether it's the food that they're eating, their gut health issues, their stress or their thyroid. Mm, so good. So obviously this book is coming very much from a personal experience and I'm guessing a personal struggle. Um, you've become known as the period girl, which is, I love that. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your journey and why you really felt the need to educate other women on how to fix their periods? Yeah. You know, I really struggled as a teenager. I had just the worst periods. And I know that from talking to a lot of teenagers now, that's still the case. We still have terrible periods, 20 something, 30 something years later. And for, for me, it went on for years. I started with heavy, painful periods, and then it went on to periods that just got super irregular and they would come every three or four months. And I had no idea what was going on. My mom had also had terrible periods as a teenager. So she just assumed that it was normal. And finally, after, I think it was at some point I was probably like 18 or so 
19 and I had had these crazy irregular periods probably for about a year or so. And it had been about four months and I finally said, okay, I feel like I need to go to the doctor for this. And so I finally went and she immediately uh, wrote a prescription for the birth control pill. And I was stoked. I mean, because this period business was ridiculous. I was not trying to have it disrupt my life forever. And when I got the pill, I just thought, okay, this is going to be my silver bullet, my period panacea. I'm going to have normal periods after this. And in fact, it's really what happened because that's what the pill does. It, it essentially normalizes everything. It doesn't fix it, but it, it does make things more bearable. And for me, I went from having these super heavy, painful, crazy, irregular periods to having a regular cycle to having very light periods that were only a few days long that were not heavy at all. And it was amazing. And so, and then it was also birth control on top of that. So it's like, sweet, I've got it all in one package. And then after about, I don't know, it was a couple of years or so, it, everything changed quite dramatically. And I started to notice all of these what I call seemingly unrelated symptoms. I, my hair was falling out. I had melasma all over my face. I was putting on weight that I couldn't lose. Um, you know, I was having, uh, chronic UTIs, yeast infections. It was just, it was terrible. Like it was not pretty. And I remember going to multiple doctors because it got worse. I started to have gut health issues. I started to have really bad joint pain. And by this time I was, I don't know, in my early twenties. So none of it made sense and no one could figure out what was wrong. I mean, I did colonoscopies. I went to a dermatologist multiple times. I went to my OBGYN all the time because, you know, the chronic infections and whatnot. And eventually I ended up in the ER because I had an allergic reaction to a UTI medication. And I, you know, I had a horrible fever. I was red from head to toe. And that was really the turning point for me. I was like, okay, I cannot live like this anymore. And I, you know, I, I said to a friend the next day in school, cause I was in college still. And she was, she said to me, oh, you really should see my acupuncturist. I mean, you're, this is crazy. You can't live like this. And I was like, yeah, I know I can't. And so I saw him and he immediately told me what was going on with my body. He, he was, he explained what was, what the pill was doing and, and I thought at first, I, I remember distinctly thinking there's no way. And eventually it, it really, I marinated and I was like, okay, right. This is probably what's happening. Okay. I get it now. And that was when I went off the pill and it really completely changed my life. It was, you know, from there on out, I feel like going off the pill was a catalyst for just changing everything. My health, my lifestyle, my, the food I was eating, my yeah relationships, all kinds of things. Wow. What a story. Uh, and I think, I think it's one that a lot of people can actually relate to. And I'm assuming you've heard this from your own, you know, clients and patients that I think this struggle, it's awful, but it's incredibly common. And that is the thing that I think is important to talk about today, because I think a lot of women out there uh, don't realize that this burden, this awful hormonal period burden is not one that they necessarily have to carry. Could you speak to that topic of the difference between normal and common and what what's statistically normal and what's biologically normal? Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like we have been, I think the cultural narrative is that our, we're just, we just have to put up with this, right? These are just part of being a woman. It's part of getting older. It's just part of being a teenager, whatever it is. It's just part of being female, generally speaking, and there are multiple reasons why. And I ultimately believe that what I just, when I say that period problems are statistically normal, not biologically normal. And what I mean when I say that is that your best friend might have these problems. Your mom might've had these problems, but it doesn't mean that it's normal to experience these issues. And when I say these issues, I'm talking about anything from irregular cycles to period pain to migraines when you get your period to heavy um, periods or very light periods or even periods that don't come at all. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because it reminds me actually of a conversation that I had with the UK publisher of the book because they wanted to change the book cover completely and it was going to be very nondescript. And I kept saying to them, well, there needs to be problems on the cover of the book because most women do not even know that the things that they're experiencing are a problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. And you're never going to buy a book that is going to solve a problem you don't think you have. So it really, I feel like we really have to change that narrative. The paradigm has to shift because ultimately, you know, we're just led to believe that 
female bodies are problematic inherently. And I just don't believe that. I don't believe we're inherently broken. I think that we, and we also don't need a great deal of medical intervention to feel good. I actually believe that we're supposed to feel good inherently. And it's our birthright to actually know what's going on with our bodies and our menstrual cycles. And as a result, when you do, uh, you're empowered, you make empowered decisions and you're also able to get the right care that you need. Mm. So what would be some problems that people are having that maybe they don't realize uh, are related to their hormones and that they don't have to deal with? Like what, what is a normal period? What should a period look like? And what are the issues that we shouldn't have to deal with? Yeah, I love that because that's the question. We were saying this before we even got on here that nobody really even knows what they're aiming for. <laughs> and, and that's really what I, I've tried to spell out, especially in the first third of the book where I talk about this mapping the menstrual cycle uh, concept and this, the idea that, you know, there's, um, there is biologically normal and that's what you should be aiming for. And so when I say that, you know, I'm talking about how long a menstrual cycle should be. So really what you're looking for, what I like to see is a cycle that falls somewhere between 25 and 35 days long. And what that means is from the first day of your period till the day before you get your next period, you want that range to be somewhere between 25 and 35 days consistently. Um, I, I find that less than 25 days, so 24 days or less, uh, periods tend to be on the heavier side. We tend to have more period pain. We tend to have a shorter luteal phase, which I'll get into. Um, and those can all be problematic. And then on the other end of that spectrum, 36 days or longer usually indicates to me that you're just not ovulating consistently because ovulation is sort of the turning point for your cycle. It's when, you know, you, when you ovulate, it'll determine how long your cycle is going to be. And so if we are not ovulating consistently, we tend to have these longer drawn out cycles. So all of those can be problems. So we're looking for that 25 to 35 day window. And then in terms of how long your period should be, that's another thing too. Women will say to me, well, I'm bleeding for 10 days. Is that normal? And that's definitely not normal. So I like to see a period somewhere between three and seven days. That's really the norm for the most part. And the reason I say that is because anything eight days or longer typically would be classified as a heavy period or heavy flow, or you're losing too much blood oftentimes, because usually if you have an eight day or longer period, you're definitely, you're, you're usually bleeding a lot during each of those days. And then Again, on the other end of that spectrum, what I find is that two days or less is often a sign that you're not ovulating, or if you are ovulating, you're not producing enough estrogen to build your uterine lining up sufficiently. So again, like I said, I like to see the three to seven day window, and usually women fall somewhere between four and five days statistically. Um, I would say the other thing too is period pain and symptoms with your period. Again, I, you know, I find this fascinating in our society that when you go to the doctor and you have knee pain, you have back pain, the doctor's generally going to try their best to figure out what's going on and they'll get you a solution somehow or another. But when your uterus hurts, nope, <laughs> that is, that is completely normal. And it is not signifying anything is wrong. Whereas if your back is hurting, usually that's a sign that there's something up. And it's the same for your uterus as well. If you have uterine cramping that is so painful that you're wanting to throw up, you're seeing stars, you want to pass out, you can't leave the house, you have to take massive amounts of medication, like more than one dose of ibuprofen, then to me, that's a sign that there are underlying problems that are happening. So pain that is not disrupting your life, meaning that you can go about your daily activities is, is not a huge deal. I don't consider that to be necessarily a problem, but if you experience what I just described, that's definitely an issue. And then one of the other things too, I think is also important is PMS symptoms and spotting. Uh, another, another sort of joke in when it comes to hormones in our society is like is PMS and you know it's like she's just PMSing or she's so hormonal and and there's a very negative connotation but there are symptoms that we do experience but if they are disrupting your life your relationships then you probably want to look a bit deeper to see what's going on there so i think that PMS symptoms and spotting you know more than three days before you actually get your period, uh, that spotting is another sign too of low progesterone potentially. So you don't really want to be spotting more than three days uh, before you get your period. So there's, there's multiple things I think, but those are sort of the basics for what's constitutes a normal cycle. I love that. 
Um, that's a great goalpost to aim for. Thank you. Um, what would you say to someone that's maybe, you know, they had teenage acne, they had painful periods and therefore they went on the pill and they're like, the pill solved my problems as like similar to what you experienced. Um, what would you say to that person about, you know, is the pill really solving those problems or what sort of, what are the pros and cons of that situation? I love this question because I think that, again, you know, the pill is just so widely prescribed for all of these period related issues. Um, you know, it's like for every female hormone problem, basically the pill is prescribed. And I understand because that's really what conventional medicine trains that, you know, there's this solution and that's what you give for these problems. And there really isn't a lot of research into why these problems exist in the first place. And so I really do get it. And I get it because I experienced it as well. What I see a lot of and what I didn't experience because I went on the pill a little bit later is girls being put on it at younger and younger ages. I mean, even 12 and 13 years old. And when you think about puberty and, you know, the fact that your endocrine system and your menstrual cycle, your reproductive function is coming online for the first time. It's it's basically going from being dormant to working. And you know how that is. There's baby steps involved. It can't just go to running a marathon right away. So what I find happens is a lot of girls are put on the pill at these young ages for issues that I think are kind of normal during puberty. And that is heavier periods. Uh, cycles that are a little irregular, um, longer periods, and ovulatory cycles where you have a cycle you don't ovulate. Um, and the reason for that is because the follicle that is on the ovary um, that releases an egg in a teenager tends to be smaller in many cases than a, an adult woman. And as a result, it doesn't produce enough progesterone. And so you might have the heavier hallmark, hallmark periods of puberty um, heavier periods, longer periods, or irregular cycles, or you might just skip periods completely. And you might have the mood issues as well. So there's that. And so all of these symptoms, I think, are, are not necessarily abnormal. But I do think that nutrition and lifestyle changes can have a profound impact as well on teenagers. And so coming back to what you were asking, you know, I really believe that if we are you know, if, if girls, if doctors would just, you know, maybe look at these little lifestyle factors, it would help tremendously rather than just medicating away periods. But if you have been put on the pill for a long time, um, and, you know, from a long time ago, what I suggest is, you know, speaking with your doctor, I mean, possibly coming off of it, especially if you were put on for these symptoms as a teenager, because ultimately, you know, you can change this. I mean, I, I feel like when, when you're younger, that those symptoms can be addressed relatively easily. And when they are, I mean, like you can have a symptom-free period. So Nicole, I think it's interesting, even from a male perspective, we have these conversations, you know, with our partners. And as soon as you hear something like, I want to come off the pill, immediately from a male's perspective, you're thinking pregnancy, oh my goodness, what's happening? Um, so how, what would you suggest for those conversations for a woman that's still wanting to keep her sexual independence, i.e. not get pregnant, um, and, you know, obviously have complete control of her body, but at the same time, it's going to freak out her partner most likely. What would you say to that, you know, that person that's about to have that conversation? Oh, I know. It's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough conversation to have, but I think that more than anything, just like for females and knowing what's going on with their bodies, I think it's the same for men too. So I think that it's the responsibility is on women to get to really know their menstrual cycles, to understand that they can only technically get pregnant for up to about 48 hours every single cycle. I mean, when you introduce sperm, that becomes longer because sperm can live in the female body up to five days. So technically there's a window of about seven days where you can get pregnant. And so when women know that and they're confident in that knowledge, then they're able to have a conversation with their partner that goes something along the lines of, 
I, you know, I'm considering going off the birth control pill and here are the reasons why and listing out the potential side effects that are associated with them, or there may be even having side effects already. So I think that's even more of a reason to consider going off of it, obviously with your doctor's knowledge and advice, but, um, you know, and, and when you can really confidently communicate that to your husband, boyfriend, partner, whoever, then they're going to feel confident in your confidence. And so ultimately you're, you know, I, I always recommend women start tracking their cycle and paying attention to when they're ovulating. So you really want to be tracking your basal body temperature, your cervical fluid, because those change quite dramatically throughout your cycle. So they're going to change depending on where you are in your cycle. Before ovulation, your cervical fluid is quite different and your basal temperatures tend to be on the lower side. After ovulation, your basal temperature rises and your cervical fluid changes as well. It becomes infertile quality cervical fluid. So when you know all of this and you can communicate that to your partner and um, obviously be using backup form of birth control as well, because you want to make sure that you're safe, then you can really, you can ultimately, I feel like have these conversations and, you know, and be and get on the same page about, you know, how birth control is going to work in your relationship. Because I think that this really, like I was saying to you before, this is really, this should not be a burden for women only. (laughs) I mean, come on. You know, I was saying to you guys that men are fertile every single day of their lives, literally up until they're in their seventies or something like that. Whereas women are, you know, we're fertile for these like one to two days, every cycle when we're ovulating. And yet the biggest burden on us, I think is birth control. And I think that bringing men into that conversation, even if they're not comfortable with it, is, I mean, it's so necessary at this point. It's 2020. (laughs) So what would, like, what do the numbers look like? So we have this conversation, we're going to go off the birth control, which we know, I think, is it 98%? Is it the top 90s for the birth control? Yeah, it's in the high 90s. I think it's like 99.3. I should probably look that up, huh? (laughs) We know it's very, very, like a very, very, like, you know, we've got good data on it. So what's the data look like for someone that's just going to watch their cycle, um, you know, there's several apps they can download and so then how that conversation goes. So both parties can be involved in, you know, obviously controlling that chance of, you know, um, conception. Yes. I, this is a great question because it's funny. I feel like, I feel like people are completely freaked out when they hear fertility awareness method or they hear, the rhythm method, and it's very confusing. So what I, first of all, I think the first thing is to differentiate between what I was just describing and the rhythm method. The rhythm method is a very outdated form of birth control that is based on sort of a calendar type method. And it essentially assumes that women have a 28 day cycle and ovulate on day 14. That has definitely been a bit, a myth that's been debunked. And so what, um, with the fertility awareness method, What that is, is essentially you're tracking these symptoms in your cycle. So you're tracking your basal temperature, you're tracking your cervical fluid and possibly your cervical position. And it's based on these symptoms rather than on a set calendar or set dates. And so with that, it's over 99% effective, the symptothermal method, meaning that you're tracking these three symptoms or just the two, the basal body temperature and the cervical fluid changes. And so it's almost as effective as the pill. In fact, I think it actually is about the same. Um, And with that, you know, we now have... um, a level of body literacy and understanding that we would never have had before. And furthermore, we are now, our bodies are able to do what they were meant to do, and that's ovulation. So with the pill, and I was going to say this, Sarah, earlier when we were talking about this, that the pill, the mechanism of the pill is to essentially turn off, um, to turn off ovulation. That's how it works. So if you don't ovulate, you definitely don't get pregnant. But ovulation comes with incredible benefits to our overall health, like we were talking about with bone density and things like that. And, you know, these hormones are not just for having babies. They're for all kinds of things. As you guys know, they're responsible for our bone health, our heart health, our brain function, our cognitive function, our moods. Um, They're also responsible for our sex drive, our energy muscle uh, growth. I mean, there's so many aspects of these hormones that affect our health. And so that's why I just think that, you know, we can talk about 
the effectiveness of birth control and whatnot. But really what we should be coming back to is the fact that we can't really turn off this vital body process ovulation for long periods of time without huge impacts on our health. Mm, Great. Awesome. So someone is listening to this call and they're like, okay, I'm on the birth control pill. I'm realizing now that, you know, the, the cons don't seem to outweigh the pros here. Like, I, I really, you know, want to make my body be the best it can be. So how would you go about advising that person? What's the best way to get off the pill? Because I know some of my friends have gone through this. They get off the pill, their face breaks out in acne, they're moody. And they, you know, for people that are trying to get pregnant, they're like, oh my goodness, like, why am I not getting pregnant yet? What's the process here in terms of like, how do you prepare the body to take on this function again? Yes. Um, I definitely had problems when I came off the pill, so I can really relate to this. I think that there's, it's a combination of the fear of, first of all, coming off of this crutch. You're, if you've gone on it for birth control, that's the first thing. And then secondly, if you've gone on it for irregular periods or really disruptive periods, then I mean, yeah, it's just terrifying basically. And so what will, what, what might happen in most cases is you might take, it might take a few months to come back your period to come back. So that's what I see a lot of, and that's what happened to me. And so that can be a little bit scary because of course, as we know, a period is a sign that things are working. So if you don't have one, then it can be a little unsettling. And I think the second thing is, is that women will experience um, what is known as this androgen surge, meaning that those male sex hormones um, start to rise to unsustainable levels. And as a result, they, they leave you with acne, hair loss on your head, um, really oily skin, uh, potentially hair growth on other parts of your body, like your face or even your chest. And that is not cool. And it's usually cystic acne and major hair loss. And in many cases, women just go back on the pill because they're like, hell no, I'm not dealing with this. Like, this is just crazy. And so I think that what needs to happen is you need to make a, it's almost like a found, take a foundational approach to your health before coming off the pill. And that's, you know, that's really what I laid out in the book. And that's, again, looking at nutrient deficiencies. So focusing on really beefing up your food foundation, uh, definitely getting your blood sugar under control, uh, supporting your liver as well so that it's, you know, able to work properly and detox hormones effectively. And then your gut health too. And of course your thyroid, because the birth control pill actually downregulates how your thyroid functions in some cases, not all of us, of course, but for some of us who are potentially prone to thyroid problems, you could have that issue. I've seen many, many cases of women who are on the pill for a few years and then they have, they start having thyroid problems and they're put on thyroid medication And they don't even realize that it's actually the pill that's the cause of that. So coming back to that, you really have to focus on these pillars of health. And when you do that, you're going to, you're really going to ease into that transition off the pill because you're going to be scaffolding the other parts of your body that will support your hormonal health. Hmm. Well said. For those people that are like their ears perked up when you said thyroid, um, I, I think a lot of people aren't really aware of what the thyroid does for our bodies, our, our master gland. Could you could you speak to that a little bit? And maybe what would be some symptoms of an underactive thyroid? Yes, absolutely. And you know, with our thyroid, <laughs> thyroids are so complicated because they are, you know, they're basically responsible for everything. We have thyroid hormone receptors on pretty much every cell in our body. And so when thyroids don't work properly, life really sucks. And it's just, you know, it's really, we just feel terrible. And what women, you know, when you think about thyroid hormone or thyroid symptoms, so a low thyroid function or hypothyroidism, you think of weight gain and hair loss in your head or dry, brittle hair, um, dry nails, um, as well as dry skin and, um, you know, like constipation, things like that. Uh, feeling cold all the time, all of those fun things. Um, but then what women don't realize is that hypothyroidism is impacting our menstrual cycle as well, quite significantly. And so some of the main symptoms that I see when, as they relate to your thyroid are heavy and painful periods, as well as long periods. And 
Um, when you think about hyperthyroidism or an overactive thyroid, that usually is accompanied by light periods or very long cycles or missing periods completely, or just like scanty periods where you just spot something like that. So on both ends of the spectrum, the thyroid can really impact our, our menstrual cycles. And one of the main reasons for that is because uh, thyroid disease in general um, causes uh, problems with our ovulation. And so when you think about ovulation, it's, it's a pretty energy intensive endeavor that your body undertakes every single month. And if you don't have, you know, your thyroid is basically your energy epicenter. If your thyroid isn't working properly, your body just doesn't have the extra energy to devote to something that your body doesn't see as a life and death type uh, function in your it function. It just doesn't need to do that. It doesn't need to, it doesn't depend or your life doesn't depend on it. So it'll potentially shut that down to conserve energy if your thyroid isn't working properly. And so it's also interesting too, because in order for your thyroid to function, you actually need adequate progesterone. And in order for um, your progesterone to be made, you need thyroid hormone. So it's this whole thing where, you know, they're all tied up in these feedback loops. And if you're, if your thyroid isn't working, then you run into these problems with your progesterone production as well. So it's, it's really, it's really interesting and very complicated because, you know, you also think about estrogen's role in this as well. And estrogen is tied to hypothyroidism and thyroid disease in general, excess estrogen, downregulates your thyroid function. So we, we run into these problems where, you know, we have multiple hormonal imbalances with regard to our sex hormones and that can impact our thyroid and then thyroid imbalance can impact our sex hormones. So it's really critical for us to be focused on figuring out what's going on with our thyroid so that we don't run into, you know, further problems and we don't necessarily need medication. When we're talking about fixing your period. Um, you mentioned a few things before with like getting off the pill. You're talking liver, we're talking gut, we're talking um, thyroid um, and all those sorts of things. I'm assuming um, there's similar things we can do to fix our periods in general. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. definitely. So, you know, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. You talk. <laughs> ah, so in your book, Fix Your Period, um, I'm, I'm guessing you'll go into those in really good detail, but I would love to just talk about the person listening right now, she wants to fix her period. She's got PMS, she's got bad period pain, and she's a regular. Where do, where do we start? Yeah, I you know I, I kind of joke about this a little bit because I, I constantly hear from women, Nicole, how do I fix these problems? I just need help right now. And I'm like, well, it's not as easy as that <laughs> because, you know, again, like we were saying, everything is communicating with everything in your body. And so there's always going to be uh, you know, one hormone that's talking to one gland and another hormone talking to another hormone and whatever. So the point is, is that everything is interconnected in our bodies. And if we are just spot treating one hormone, for instance, uh, you know, a lot of women have low progesterone, then we run into problems because we have to figure out why that progesterone is low in the first place. And so that really comes back to a few things. And like I was saying, you know, food is the foundation. And so I keep it simple. I really say to women, okay, can you just think about how you make your plate? So start there. And can you put half of your, make half of your plate carbohydrates, mostly in the form of vegetables, a quarter of your plate uh, protein and another quarter of your plate fat and see how you feel. And usually what will happen there is within a week, they start to notice that they have more energy, that their bowel movements are better, that they're feeling, you know, they're feeling more stable in terms of how their blood sugar is, is after their meals. And that's to me is the beginning. So when you think about fixing your period, start to think about what's happening with cortisol and what's happening with insulin. And these two hormones, I call them the queen bee hormones. And I talk about them in this hormonal hierarchy. And the idea here is that they're at the top of the hierarchy and they have pretty profound effect on hormones that are below them, pregnenolone and DHEA, which I call the parent hormones because they are responsible for making some of our sex hormones. And then of course the hormones below those, which are estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, melatonin, and your thyroid hormones. And this is a vast simplification, but ultimately what I want everyone to understand is that some hormones have a more powerful effect on your other hormones than your other hormones have an effect on them. And so when you think of cortisol and insulin, we 
think of stress and blood sugar. And blood sugar is fascinating to me because when you think about the fact that insulin is a really powerful hormone and it can actually impact our ovarian function, then that to me is the connection between your, the cookie that you're eating and the, and how your ovaries actually function, whether you ovulate or not. And that when women understand that they're like, Oh, okay. I totally get this. I can totally address my sugar issue because I understand now how it's affecting me internally. So I always ask women to start with their food. So the nutrients on their plate, and then start to look at the blood sugar side of things. And when you make your plate that way, usually your blood sugar stays stable and then you're getting all the nutrients and then to start to look at your stress because in order for a body to ovulate or want to ovulate consistently, it needs to feel like it has the right nutrients. It needs to feel like it has enough calories and it needs to feel safe. And if you are addressing those two hormones, you're going to, you're going to cover all three of those bases. Hmm. I love it. I think, uh, blood sugar obviously is something that gets discussed a little bit in terms of weight loss and of course like the diabetes conversation but I, I really I, I, I it's not normally put in the conversation of you know periods and I think that's really insightful thank you Nicole um, about how we can take in charge of our cycles by controlling what's on our plate I love that um, what other factors after nutrition do we look at so I think the next thing is the stress side of things and you know I I, I think it's important for us to remember that you know, there are obviously the stressors that we all know about. We know about the crazy jobs and the long commutes and family drama and relationship issues and work and all of that, like financial stuff, all of it. But what I think that women especially tend to not focus on are the the other stressors that we don't even realize are necessarily stressing us out or stressing our bodies out. And that's things like you know, not getting consistent sleep every night, for instance, or um, it might be perceived stress. So what do you perceive to be stressful in your life? And these are, again, sort of unseen things that we really have to tune into and start to pay attention to. I also think too about our stress set point. And when I say that, what I mean is, how were you conditioned to deal with stress as a child? Did you, was there childhood trauma? Was there some kind of abuse? Did something happen to you? Um, for me, for instance, my dad died pretty suddenly when I was 11 and it really changed my relationship with stress and how I deal with it. And I really have had to work on that over the years because I feel like I tend to freak out pretty easily because of stress. I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm resilient now, but it, it took a long time to get there. And I think if we're not acknowledging what has happened to us throughout our lives and how we do indeed respond to stress, we're, you know, we're going to run into problems. And so when you think about what we were saying earlier about the fact that female bodies are keenly attuned to stressors, generally speaking, and that's just tens of thousands of years of evolution. We're, of course, tuned into all the things around us. We're just scanning all day long, basically. We're just stress picker-uppers. And as a result, we end up in a situation where, you know, we're in this perpetual cycle. And Again, women often think that their bodies are broken. They think that, you know, they can't get pregnant or they have these horrible period problems. And it's because, you know, there, there's something wrong or there's something broken. And that's actually not true. It's your body basically telling you through your period that whatever's happening in your life is not working for you. It's not working for your health. It's not working for your lifestyle. And so I, I constantly say to them that when you think about the fact that stress, external stressors hijack your brain, that's essentially what happens. Hijacks your hypothalamus. Cortisol in high levels will actually suppress the production of GnRH, which is gonadotropin releasing hormone. And that hormone is telling your pituitary gland to send hormones to your ovaries to get that ovulation process going. So what we end up seeing is a situation where your brain conversation with your ovaries is totally disrupted by this chronic stress that we live with. And as a result, you start to have ovarian problems and then period problems. And it looks different for each of us. Some of us have heavy, heavy periods. Some of us lose our periods completely because of stress. So it really just depends, but the sources are the same. So it's the same, like I was saying, with blood sugar and insulin. It's the same with the stressors in our life and cortisol. It just depends on what's causing that cortisol to get dysregulated in the first place. Hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking you're just dis you're discussing stress as that disruptor of a very like you know very intricate cycle, 
I was just wondering, is, uh, is there chemicals or is there types of foods that can sometimes also disrupt? We know endocrine disrupting chemicals are everywhere in our environments now. And how does that impact the female cycle? Oh my God. Yeah. Such, that is seriously such a problem. And it's interesting because I kind of equate it to stress in the sense that it is a stressor on your body and it's also totally invisible because we really don't see it. And so when you think about Oh, all the environmental chemicals. We're just sort of bathing in environmental chemical soups these days. And, uh, you know, I loved that about your series that you guys did because I, I learned so much. It was amazing. I loved tuning into that thing because I could not believe the amount of information that's come out relatively recently, just from the time that I've written the book about how endocrine disruptors are I mean, wreaking complete havoc. And when you think about something like BPA, for instance, that I think is hands down, it, it takes the cake for a lot of the reproductive issues that we have. It actually impacts our, our ovarian function and changes the way they work. And as a result, we end up with all a whole host of issues and, and particularly fertility problems. And, and that's really where I think that we have to be super careful um, with these in environmental chemicals, because if they are, if, if they hit a threshold, then we really start to have issues. And whether that is, you know, if, whether that's fertility problems, whether that's ovulation problems, so some sort of ovulatory disorder, or we start to see, um, you know, this, this phenomenon known as estrogen dominance or estrogen excess. And really what that is, is these, you know, BPA, for instance, and phthalates and a lot of others are, are known as xenoestrogens. They are estrogen mimickers. And so basically what they're doing is they're showing up in your body and they're kind of estrogen imposters and they're doing things that your normal estrogen would normally do, which is getting into your estrogen receptors and they're sending a stronger signal. So you're starting to have symptoms that you might have if you were estrogen dominant. And some of those include things like heavy periods, uh, breast tenderness or breast pain, lumpy boobs as well. It's another one that really sucks. Um, as well as migraines and, you know, severe PMS symptoms, um, bloating too. So, you know, those are some of the symptoms you might experience, but your estrogen might actually be normal and it's just been hijacked by these fake estrogens. And so we really have to be diligent about limiting our exposure to them and also supporting our livers to help get them out of our bodies and our gut too, to just help them get released from the body because otherwise they're just going to wreak havoc for years on end. And usually the symptoms just get worse. They don't get better. Mm. I can actually attest to that personally with, since we did the series, um, like I was already pretty good. Like I wouldn't really drink out of plastic bottles, had my own glass bottle and all that sort of stuff. And maybe quarantine has actually helped my health as well <laughs> because um, I, I, I'm not ordering out of plastic uh, containers anymore, like ordering like Indian food and it comes in a hot plastic <laughs> the worst um, container. I know. and um when you obviously obviously you're going to get plastic in your food but you you know we like to live in a bit of denial when we want to eat out right but um i think since not doing that definitely like breast tenderness has gone to zero like non-existent which is really cool um so i, I wow. for anyone just like that's a super easy thing that you can start to incorporate into your lifestyle just get rid of plastic and you're helping the environment <laughs> at the same time. Because I guess it's BPA I totally free agree. Is, is also not, you know, like. Oh, BPA free. Yeah. yeah. Like I think that's something that we've been a little bit confused by. They've actually created variants of BPA, which are doing similar to sometimes even worse things to your body. So it's something to be aware of just because it's plastic and it says BPA free. Doesn't mean it's, it's fine. Probably not going to be maybe as good. So yeah, yeah something to watch out for, for sure. Stick to I'm so glad you said that. I know we all love to believe BPA free means BPA free, <laughs> but it's really, I know it's, I don't think it's any better. Like you were just saying, Matt, I don't think it is, which is a bummer, but yes, that's a really good point by the way, about the takeout, because we would also order that in New York and it does come in these plastic containers. And sometimes you're just not trying to cook and that's what happens. And now I have to pay attention to whether that uh, changes or not. That's so interesting. I think everyone should look into that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So if it, what about period pain? Uh, obviously, you know, it's going to be different for everyone. What is maybe causing that in like, because everybody is different. But what sort of um, what sort of tips do you give to people there? 
I think with period pain, you really have to, you have to determine the cause. And I, you know, I think that it depends because pain comes varying levels. So what I would say is if you're just experiencing, you know, sort of pain that doesn't really disrupt your life, like I was saying before, um, pain that, you know, you can take a few Advil or something like that, and it generally goes away and you're feeling okay. Then to me, that's a sign of possibly just underlying inflammation. So when I say underlying inflammation, usually that starts in the gut and it starts with, you know, leaky gut, gut dysbiosis, something's going on at the gut and that is causing, you know, systemic problems. Um, and so that, you know, is relatively easy to fix in most cases. Um, so I, I think of that. I also think of foods that are causing inflammation. So those high omega-6 fatty acid foods that are, you know, um, canola oil, corn oil, any of those seed oils or those industrial seed oils that, you know, you're eating food that you're eating from restaurants in particular would have that in them. Um, so that's another thing as well as, you know, food allergies, that's another one, uh, or food sensitivities triggering this inflammatory response in your gut. So I find that any of those can trigger pain, uh, doesn't matter where in your body. So I would say that that, you know, would be a relatively easy fix. It's usually within the protocol in the book, you can, you can do that within a few cycles, but there are other causes of period pain too, that we really have to look further into. And one of the bigger causes of, of pain, especially debilitating pain is endometriosis. And so this is an inflammatory condition where, uh, endometrial like tissue. So tissue that's similar to what grows on the uterine or inside the uterine lining is growing outside of the uterus. And it's basically so it's so inflaming that you are experiencing a significant amount of pain on, you know, on a cyclical basis, sometimes throughout your cycle. And this again is rooted in inflammation. Uh, there are multiple reasons or proposed reasons why this condition might exist. And so one of them, like I was saying, is inflammation. There's definitely a, a gut inflammation connection. And I feel like if you are experiencing pain that is causing you to throw up, is causing you to pass out, um, is just so excruciating that even medication doesn't even work for it, then you really have to go to your doctor and get a full workup and then find an endometriosis specialist to, to, to get diagnosed. Unfortunately, the only way as of right now to get fully diagnosed with endometriosis is to actually have a laparoscopic surgery where they go in and they find it for themselves. Um, and then from there, uh, an excision surgery is often recommended based on the severity of the condition. So that's, you know, a whole other thing in of itself. But the food side of things and the stress management and all of the lifestyle factors that I've been talking about with both of you is are all going to help tremendously because really all of these conditions are very much, you know, the obviously some of us are genetically predisposed, but they're so driven by what's happening in our lives. And so I would say the other thing too is adenomyosis, uterine fibroids, a polyp, ovarian cysts, these all cause pelvic pain or period pain. And I really think that if that's the case, you're experiencing pain, definitely see your doctor to rule out any of these things. And if it's just um, that it's like a little bit of inflammation, usually that'll go away. I think the final thing is uterine position. So what's happening structurally with your uterus? Is it in a, is it malpositioned? Is it retroflexed or is it, is it tilted? Um, and what that means is, uh, you know, it can be folded back on itself. It can be folded forward. And when you have a structural issue like this, I really recommend seeing like a pelvic physical therapist or, um, someone who practices visceral manipulation. They can work with, uh, you know, with your uterine position and then also even an Arvigo therapist. So they basically do uterine massage outside externally. But yeah, so there's, you know, there are multiple reasons why. And I, I always encourage everyone to start to explore why they might have pain in the first place mm, and take it from that. there. I am excited to really dive into your book to explore all the different root causes and how to really tackle each one of them. Um, in our series, um, you talked a little bit about magnesium and I thought that was super insightful. I'm wondering if you sh could share your insight on magnesium and why that's really important for women. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. I call it the period mineral <laughs> because it really is. I feel like it's so great for literally so many things. Um, so interestingly with magnesium, it's been found to really help with PMS symptoms. It in particular, it helps reduce bloating, um, and breast tenderness. And interestingly too, it helps to build progesterone. So it really does. It's a sort of an ovarian supportive mineral. Um, it also, I have found in women who are dealing with emotional PMS symptoms, it can really help with anxiety. Uh, it can help you sleep better. It works really well for period pain, for migraines. So there are literally a million things that magnesium does. And when you combine it with, P with B6, it works really, really well for PMS. It's interesting with magnesium because I think I was reading a study where they were saying that uh, they, you know, they considered it so necessary for PMS because women who had PMS symptoms were actually significantly deficient in magnesium. So I thought that was fascinating and I'm really a huge fan of it. And that's just one of many. I mean, like, you know, we have vitamin C, which can raise progesterone and really support your adrenal function as well. Um, and your immune system, which I guess is a really big plus these days. Um, you know, there's iron of course, which, will support healthy egg function or egg, egg production and ovarian function. Um, vitamin A is another one too. Vitamin A is huge in liver and I'm a big fan of getting vitamin A in, uh, you know, it's full in its whole form versus vitamin A in vegetables, which is good too. But vitamin A really helps support skin, especially when we're prone to acne, especially as we come off of the pill. So, you know, again, I could go on and on, but I feel like different nutrients support different aspects of our menstrual cycle function. And if we're just, if we're just really getting back to basics and eating a full spectrum diet, we're usually going to be, I mean, much better off than someone who's eating not a great diet every day. Mm, great insights. Thank you. I'm such a nerd for vitamins and herbs. That's where I'm like, Ooh, so thank you. Tell me more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, with the magnesium for someone, um, is this like, that's like, cool, I'm probably deficient because, you know, most people are. Um, I, and they're going to the shops to buy one and they're flipping over the backs of the labels. Like there's so many magnesiums, which one should I get? Do you have any advice there? Yeah, I do. So I would recommend, um, you know, a lot of women struggle with constipation, especially in, their, in the second half of their cycle. Progesterone actually slows muscles down. So it might, you know, slow your bowel movements down. Um, and so I would recommend a magnesium citrate during that time. That seems to really help with bowel movements. And then uh, usually, though, what I would recommend is a magnesium glycinate. And that is, is better absorbed. Um, so that's the one I would recommend for most people who are taking magnesium. And then, you know, I was recently learning about the different types and, and how they impact us. And magnesium malate apparently crosses the blood brain barrier and will support anxiety and mood issues. So if you're struggling with those, then I would consider magnesium malate. And of course, I, you know, I don't really recommend just the magnesiums or supplements generally sold on store shelves. So I think that you should really focus on, uh, you know, a pharmaceutical grade, uh, supplement that is usually sold by, you know, doctors or practitioners. Um, and there are, you know, there are quite a few different brands and I'm sure you guys can link to a few for people if they're watching. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nicole. I, uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom so openly with us today. And um, for anyone watching, uh, Fix Your Period is out. And that's very exciting. Make sure you support Nicole and her mission to get the message of periods and how you can be free of all those awful symptoms out. Um, Maddie, what do you what do you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the throw off too. But I, I, think, <laughs> I think guys listening to this, we can just be way more educated as well. It's like takes two to tango. And so I think I use this as an opportunity to learn and um, to support your partners and because this is a difficult and challenging thing. But I think if we all move to a healthier option, um, and I think as you're saying, Nicole, knowing more about your body, your partner understanding your body, I think we can all work together to create just a healthier environment for everyone. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Nicole. Everyone grab her book and give her a follow. And thanks so much again. <laughs>